Cool. So today, we're going to try to conclude Joshua 13. So um, last week, I left off somewhere in the in like verse 20 or somewhere around there. Um, <clears throat> I actually went a bit further. So I think I went to like verse like 23. I, I may have read a little bit more, but I didn't teach that far. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Um, so, you know, we spoke about um, the land that was yet to be conquered. And we talked about um, how the Lord had given them the land. God's promise is as good as done, right? But there is a little bit left to uh, our obedience. You know, us marching out when the Lord says, hey, it's as good as done. Um, I have to live like that. You know, live uh, if it's as good as done. And then we also talked about, you know, those little battles that are still happening, mop-up battles. You guys remember I talked about uh, that example, that illustration of Iwo Jima, where the allies were fighting for this island that was controlled uh, back then uh, in the war by the Japanese, and they won the island. It was an overwhelming victory, but uh, there was a lot of bloodshed on both sides. They fought hard for this island, right? So then the allies won the island, but it took six days for the enemy to actually surrender. And I told you before, it took six years for the last Japanese soldier on Iwo Jima to surrender. Six years. And sometimes our lives, our Christian lives may feel like that. Man, Jesus has victory, right? But sometimes I still fail. And I think to myself, what is going on? What's going on in my life? You know, I thought I loved Jesus. And it's true, you do love Jesus. I thought Jesus had the victory in my life. Why do I still struggle with these sins? And it's because we still live in this world. There are mop-up battles. It's not calling for us to give up and just walk away. Because I'll tell you what, Jesus is not giving up on us. And he's not walking away. So sometimes we have a problem with... Um, like the circumstances of our lives, right? Even when the enemy comes to attack us, we have a problem with the circumstances of our lives. You know, somebody said something, it changes my mood. You know, something happens. You know, if you guys notice, I stand back at the soundboard, I mix the sounds for the worship team. Now, I wouldn't wish being a sound person on anybody, right? Because you're standing back there and you have a whole bunch of people up here relying on you. And you're, they're like, hey, can you change this? Can you change that? Can you change this? Can you change that? And you're just like, okay, I will. I'll do it. Now, we have a good relationship between the worship team and I. But uh, growing up as a musician, I always had a sound guy in the back. And I never wanted his job, right? I would always say, I mean, we toured for 20-some years, and I would always make this joke. Listen, if we sound good, come talk to me afterwards if you really like the sound. If you don't like the sound, have a chat with my sound man back there, you know, right? He knew I was totally joking because it's my little brother. But at the same time, the pressure is on back there. So 
So there are things that can happen back there that can get me bent out of shape, right? And nobody even notices, right? The board just is not listening to me because we, we use a digital board. It's just not listening to me. It's just doing whatever it wants. Like this morning, they're like, hey, I can't hear myself in my in-ears and I'm changing everything. And they're like, nothing's changed. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what can I do for you? You know, I'm gonna go get one of those fireman axes and I'm gonna go at it. <laughs> on this board back here, right? Um, but I can't let it move me, right? It's just a circumstance. So I have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, this hasn't moved my position of who you made me, right? You love me. You've, you've, you've knit me together in my mother's womb. You've, you came for me. You died for all of us, Right? It tells us in scripture that Christ died once and for all. Those are, that's our position. God loves us. We have worth no matter what any human says about us. And we have to know that we have victory in Christ. I can't let circumstances get me down. I can't let, um, you know, I've been in the place where like everything's going good. I'm doing, I'm being a good person, Right? And everything comes for me. I can't let that stop me from doing good. I can't let that stop me from living out who Jesus told me to be. Right? Because I know that he has a plan and that he'll fight for me. He'll fight for me. He actually holds me. It tells me in the scripture that he holds you and me as the apple of his eye. Now, you guys may not understand what that means, but... I'll tell it to you really simply. He really, really likes you. He loves you and he also likes you. He likes your personality. He likes to hear you talking to him. He likes you even if no other, if no human on earth may like you. He likes you. And he wants to make you more. He wants you to be who he has made you to be. But you have to find your worth in him. Not in what others think about you. Not in how many likes you have on, on the gram. You know? Not how many um, people are your friends on Facebook, though I think we're past that. You know, I used to talk to people back and then they're like, ah, I have 4,000 friends. And I'm like, yeah, and I bet you don't know any of them. <laughs> you know? I mean, honestly, in the last, like, two years, I've had so many friend ads on my Facebook. And people are like, who's this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> They just wanted to be my friend. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I got people from every continent. <laughs> They're like, hey, man, I'm in the Philippines. I want to be your friend. I'm like, I don't know you. <laughs> and then they try to call me on WhatsApp. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I only answer the phone from my church people <laughs> and my wife <laughs> and my brothers and my mom. <laughs> so if you're calling me and you have some funny name from another country, Let's get to know each other first before we chatting on the phone, <laughs> all right? All joking aside, that can't be like these external things can't be my worth. They, they can't. They're not. They can't ever show you your worth. Whether you win awards at, at music places, no matter what you're invited to. You know, this past week at the Grammys, I watched somebody that used to watch me on stage. She won a Grammy. And I was like, that's awesome. But I'm praying for her. 
because life is hard there. Life is hard there. And I knew her since she was little, right? And I know that she has it tough. She signed to a record deal and she has it tough. She may not even know it, but her faith is under attack. And, and you, you, that Grammy, she even said it, this Grammy means everything and nothing at the same time. You know, I know people that have tons of PhDs and awards up on the wall. And remember, when those people are dying, they're never like, hey, can you go get me my PhD? I just want to hold it. Or like a rich person is never like, hey, can you show me the balance of my bank account before I die? You know, like just bring it up on my phone. I'll just, who cares? You know what they ask for? The ones they love. And if you know the Lord, you talk to the Lord because you know that the next step takes you to him. The next breath is standing with Christ. That's what Paul told us. To be in the body, I'm here. But to be apart from the body, I'm with Christ. Praise the Lord. I, I don't have anything to fear. I don't have anything to fear. So then we see that Last week we talked about there were two and a half tribes that asked to have land outside of the promised land. And at first Moses was like, no, that's not the land we're going for. We're going for the land on the other side of the Jordan. And I know your tricks. You just want to be well kept. And you're just looking at this land because you think to yourself, it's good for my cattle. And they were like, no, it, it is good for our cattle. But we promised to fight with everybody. Now in the future, they would have lots of problems because... There was nothing protecting them. They were out in open plains. So they had to fight a lot of battles against people. And uh, a problem arises at the end of Joshua because they know they live on the other side of the Jordan. So they make this huge altar thing. And all of Israel gets up to go get them and say, what in the world? God told us not to make idols. What are you doing? And they're like, no, no, brothers, you misunderstand. Since we live on this side of the Jordan, we don't want your children to forget who we are. So we've made this big altar here as a witness that we're part of you on the other side. Because they knew their choice would bring a big divide between them. And it wasn't just the Jordan River. So... Sometimes in our Christian life, we can be those people that don't want to enter the promised land or we don't actually make that choice like saying, no, I don't want God's promises, but we chase other things that's good for our wealth instead of what's good for us spiritually, right? We chase things that are good for our fame, good for our wealth, good for, for what we think is our worth, but it's not. And if I trade my wealth, I might lose something else. I told you that, right? Like sometimes at the cost of me chasing something, I sacrifice my children or I sacrifice my relationships that were good. And I definitely sacrificed my relationship with the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. I'm not talking about salvation issues. I'm talking about living with the Lord leading me or saying to the Lord, I'm good at salvation, bro. 
Like, that's it. That's all I need. You can step back from here, right? And then we get to this point, and I'll start reading from um, verse 21. The land of Reuben also included all the towns of the plain and the entire kingdom of Sihon. Sihon was the Amorite king who had reigned in Heshbon and was killed by Moses along with the leaders of Midian. Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, princes living in the region who were allied with Sihon. Okay? The Israelites also killed Balaam, son of Beor, who used magic to tell the future. Now, if you go back to the story of Balaam, it's, it's sometimes a little bit confusing. Because even though Balaam was using magic, he was talking to the living God. All right? He was using magic to see what was past everything. And guess who he met? God was standing there. And God's like, who are you? <laughs> How did you get here? <laughs> right? So God talks to Balaam. And Balaam actually knows the living God of the Hebrews. He knows him because he talks to him through magic, right? And, and this is what I'm going to tell you now. God said a certain thing to the Israelites. Do not ever use witchcraft or magic. Don't use it. Because even though you may see bigger things than you, they will eat you alive. In fact, he said, listen, if there is witchcraft in the land, find that person Put them to death immediately. That does not belong here. And a lot of times, or all the time in magic, you are talking to principalities, to evil forces that are out there. So you think you're doing powerful things, but something more powerful than you will take hold of you. Right? Just because you say some, you know, whatever it is, some magic words or whatever, you think you're going to control a demon? They might give you that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're controlling me. You're controlling me. And then they'll choke you to death. Right? It's like letting an enemy right in your living room. There's a portion in the New Testament that talks about that Paul came and he told these people about Christ and they knew that the witchcraft that they were in was evil. So they burned all their scrolls and the amount, the money amount to those scrolls amounts to millions of pounds worth of their magic stuff. And they burned it because they knew it was evil and had nothing to do with Christ. And they stayed away from it and the Lord blessed them for it. Guys, sometimes in our homes, we have things that don't belong there, that are no good for me because they're giving the devil a foothold in my life. But I keep them because they're pretty, right? That's what happened with Israel in this thing that they call the high places. When they moved into the land, there were these high gardens that the people, the inhabitants had, right? And it said that the Israelites were not obedient in ripping down these gardens. Why not? Because they were pretty gardens. They were really nice. But those pretty gardens led them into idolatry. They walked up into those gardens and they said, look how beautiful it is here. Oh, what's this over here? Oh, a little idol. Oh, let's burn some incense to it. Then all of a sudden, before they know it, it snowballs and captures their hearts. 
And the Lord's like, listen, if I tell you not to have something in your life and it shouldn't be there, just get rid of it. Get rid of the high places. Get rid of the pretty gardens that you think, well, it's really nice. Right? You know, you might have like a, you might find like a stray, stray baby rat, you know, and you think, oh, look how cute. And you bring it in the house, you keep it for a couple months and you realize, huh, how come everything's eaten through? And there's poo everywhere. What's going on? And the whole time you don't realize that that baby rat has turned, grown into a full grown Birmingham rat. <laughs> there's only... One other type of rat that I've seen that rival Birmingham rats, and those are New York City rats. <laughs> I'd like to let them meet. They'd fight it out. Now, I don't like rats. When I was younger, um, my grandmother used to live next to this uh, diner, which I don't think even exists anymore. It was called Georgia Diner, right? So you'd walk down this wide alleyway, and there would be rats on the side by the diner. Of course, they weren't in the diner, right? or at least they paid somebody off enough to turn a blind eye to it. Um, but they weren't in the diner, right? They were outside the diner. But these rats were as big as my new dog. Like, <laughs> I have like a miniature schnauzer, right? These rats could fight my miniature schnauzer, honestly. Like, these rats were like this big. And the other thing what unnerved me about the rats weren't their size, it was that they didn't run, right? So I'd come walking down with my brothers and we see a rat and we're like, gah! And it just sits there and looks at you like, what you doing around my hood? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, I'll keep moving. <laughs> right? They were freaky. I don't like rats. And then I moved to Birmingham and I found their cousins live here. <laughs> like, man, I thought I got away from you. But imagine if you allow the rats in your house because they're cute. Oh, they're nice. No, Dave, don't stomp them. They're nice. Dave, we talk bad about these rats. They only gave people the black plague. It wasn't actually the rats. It was the fleas on the rats. But I'm like, you wouldn't have the fleas without the rats. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Well, go catch rats and shampoo them with flea shampoo. No, get rid of the rats. You'll be fine. That's like how we are with sin. Just come on in, rats. You look cute. Ow, why'd you nip me? <laughs> why'd you eat my child? <laughs> we need to think about these things. So the Israelites had also killed Balaam, son of Beor. And not only did he talk to God, he said, hey, God, these guys have offered me some money. I'm putting it in simple terms. These guys have offered me lots of money to curse these people called the Israelites. You know what God says to him? Do not go with them. Do not go with the men offering you the money. Tell them to go away, right? But they saw the glitter in Balaam's eyes, right? When they offered him the money and they came back and they offered him more money. And he said, God, these guys are offering me lots and lots of money. You know what God says to him? Balaam, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, Balaam. I told you last week, right? That's how sometimes I deal with my, with my daughters, right? They keep asking me, they ask me, they want their own way. I say to them, I turn to them and I say, you do whatever you want to do. And they know that's it. That was the end of the line. There was no more asking, nothing. Daddy, just 
gave up. Have it your way. Do whatever you want. And they're like, oh no, I think we're in a bad place right now. Yeah, you are, right? I don't even have to do anything. I just walk away. When we want to go our own way, God will be the first to second that notion because we will be pushing so hard. We see it over and over. It happened with Balaam. It happened with Pharaoh. It happened with people in the New Testament. They wanted to go their own way. And God says, no, don't go that way. No, don't go that way. And they're like, I want to go this way. I have rebellion in my heart. And God says, then have it your way. C.S. Lewis once wrote that in the end, there will be two types of people. Those that say to God, let your will be done, or those that God has to say to them, let your will be done. Right? I've heard it said that God does not throw people into hell. People choose to go. And it's true. I have a choice. Go with Christ or don't go with Christ. It's my choice. Nobody's forcing me. I choose where I go. So Balaam um, was greedy for wealth, and he finally goes, and this is what happens. So God had told Balaam, listen, when people come to you, those you bless, I will bless, and those you curse, I will curse. But Balaam, here's the catch. You can only bless and curse the ones I tell you to do. So really, it's whoever I tell you to bless will be blessed, and whoever I tell you to curse will be cursed. So Balaam was just playing middleman, right? So then Balaam says, these guys really want me to curse these Israelites. And God says, you cannot curse them. In fact, he goes into a trance and God starts speaking through Balaam and Balaam just starts blessing Israel. And Balak the king, who had paid him a lot of money to come and curse Israel, was like, what are you doing? Let's go to another spot. Maybe you'll get another vision. You know, and he takes them to a couple of different spots. And the same thing keeps happening over and over again. He keeps blessing Israel. And then finally, Balaam's like, listen, I can't do anything. But let me teach you how to trip up the Israelites so that they in turn will curse themselves. He wanted that money so bad, he thought he'd trick God and God's people. And in the end, Balaam may have gotten paid, but he also paid with his life. The Israelites went and got him because the Lord told Moses, Balaam is the one who told the king, Balak, how to, how to get you messed up. So Balaam told Balak, you know what you do? Get some of your pretty ladies, the really tempting ones. Send them out there, those, you know, the temple prostitutes. Send them out there. Man, those Israelite boys won't know what hit them. And they'll jump on it, and they'll curse themselves. And it happened. And it says tens of thousands died because of that, because they were supposed to be pure before the Lord. So Balaam, there's a couple of strange things about Balaam, but we must take them as warnings. In the New Testament, we're told, hey, don't be so hungry that you just chase money and you forget God, because those people go out into this world and they pierce themselves with woes, right? The Bible tells us that the love 
of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not actually money. My money doesn't sit in my bank account and plot evil, okay? You guys understand that? It's not sitting in whatever, you know, Bank of Scotland, NatWest, whatever bank I have it in, sitting there in its bank account thinking, what are the evil things we can do when David goes to spend us? <laughs> okay? That's not what money's doing. All right? It's that we fall in love with money and we'll stop at nothing to get it. That's where the evil begins. That we think our worth is tied to money and how much I have in my bank account or the things that money can get. So I learned something years ago, and it was this. Money is a treacherous master, but a very good slave, right? Either you will do bidding for money, either you will work for money, or money will work for you. But the choice is yours, right? You know, something I found uh, as I've grown a bit older is this, that I can have self-control with my money, and I can make money do what I want it to do, right? And as I've gotten older, I've learned that I don't have to spend all my money. I could keep some on the side because when my master, Jesus Christ, talks to me, I can talk to my money and let it do my bidding, right? When Jesus tells me that person over there is in need, I can say, all right, they're in need. Now, Lord, how do you want me to fill that need? Well, you have some money on the side, don't you? You're right. I'll go send it to do my bidding, right? To go help that person. So that's something I've learned, that as I can store up money, I can actually tell that money to go do th different things. Or I could say, hey, man, I've given God my money, you know, my, my 10% or whatever, my first fruits. I used to live like that, man. There were even times where I was just like, Lord, I can't even give you first fruits, man. I'm so poor. And the Lord's like, um, why don't you trust me even in your poverty? Just trust me. So then I began to sometimes reluctantly trust him, even in my need. And I gave to the Lord. And then the Lord, and listen, I'm not talking any health wealth, man. Like God can give you more than you need, but he's not obligated in any way. God is not a genie. He's not a bank account, you know, a banker just sitting there at a teller window. But I'll tell you this, he will stay true to what he said in Matthew when he said, seek first my kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. Guys, I've told you before, I've seen need in my life. I've seen need in my life. There was a time in my life when my brothers and I and my mom owed over 300000 to a bank. And, and the debt was not ours. It was handed to us by my father. And I couldn't sleep at night. It kept me awake. Because me, I'm sitting there thinking, how do I make 300000 how do I make 300,000? How do I make 300,000 by next month, right? Well, I only know a couple ways to make 300,000 by next month. <laughs> Most of them aren't legit, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and if I sell myself into slavery, ain't nobody gonna give 300,000 for me. 
They might give 300, <laughs> maybe. So there was, there was, you know, I've seen need. And you know what the Lord tells me? Serve me and trust me in your poverty and in your wealth, you will still be able to serve me and trust me. Don't wait until the day you have more. Because that day will never come. Because we are greedy people, right? Like I joke around and I say, how much is enough, right? Just a little more. Right? Just a little more. Until I feel okay with my bank account. Until I, I'm all right. I knew a man who told me he was broke. I knew this man. He told me he was broke and I, and I actually served this man. I, I would help him with things. And one day he says, Dave, I'm broke. It's like, oh, okay. And then he goes, oh, later on in the day, he's like, here's my bank card. Can you just go get some money out of the bank for me? Right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go to the bank account. He says, get me a couple hundred out. And I was like, a couple hundred? I thought the man was broke. You know? I go to the bank account. He had five digits in his bank account. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know that type of broke. <laughs> I want to be that type of broke. Because, <laughs> like, when I was younger and I told you I was broke, I mean, they closed my bank account. The bank told me to go. You've got to go, man. <laughs> you can't hang around here. You seem to suck up money or something. <laughs> I was like a black hole. <laughs> Banks told me, don't, don't be seen with that guy. <laughs> but the Lord is good. He's good to us. He's kind to us. His goodness stands and lasts forever, right? So if you seek first his kingdom, he's going to give you everything that you need to survive. And not just survive, but to thrive in this world. But seek him first. The scary thing about uh, Balaam was this. Balaam couldn't curse Israel, so he told Balak what he could do to tempt Israel and trick them into cursing themselves with disobedience. If the devil can't scare you as a roaring lion, he's going to tempt you as a lying snake. Those are the things you need to watch out for. And here's the second scary thing about Balaam. Balaam heard God's voice and he didn't change. I can be the same. I can know what God wants, and I'm not going to give it. Is rebellion in my heart like it was in Balaam's heart? Balaam spoke to audibly to the God of all creation, and it did not change him. God even tried to save his life by causing his donkey to speak to him. And it didn't change him. How many times does God have to bail you out and you just keep going on your path, on your road? How many of us have Balaam's heart? Balaam heard God's voice and disobeyed anyway. We rebel. Who knows the Lord as he speaks to us in scripture? Who's heard him when you when you hear someone speak to you and you know God speaking to you, when you hear God's word being taught or when you read his word and you know he's speaking to your heart and he's talking directly to you. We can't disregard it like Balaam did. We can't be like that. 
we will be judged. Right? How much more will we be judged? I have the scripture. The people in the ancient times didn't have scripture. It was being written at that time. I have eyewitness accounts. No other holy book has eyewitness accounts like the Bible. No other book on earth has as much historical backing as the Bible. Guys, it sits in our museums. And when they analyze it and look at it, it's almost word for word. That same ancient word that was speaking to our ancestors still speaks to us today. He said his word would be timeless, that no one would be able to put it to the grave. Guys, the Old Testament is like 5,000 years old, we're reading a book. The New Testament is 2,000 years old, and we're reading it. And when I read it, how relevant it is, and not only relevant, I sit there and I look at it, and the prophecies that have come true boggle my mind to the point that, you know, there, there's prophecies in so many different books, but just a few years ago, I read you a prophecy from the book of Daniel, and it counted exactly to the day that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. To the day. But nobody could be bothered to do the maths. They're like, ah, you know, God said something, it might be a couple hundred years. And it's coming. Right? And you could sit here today and be like, ah, God said something, who cares? You will care. You will care. To Peter 2, verses 9 through 22, read this. We'll go there really quick. 2 Peter 2, verses 9 through 22. It's a long piece, but it's Peter talking. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals. So we're back to talking about humans, saying these false teachers are like unthinking animals. They will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. He's talking about people that were among believers, making up their own things about, relig about a religion and going their own way. We know of people like this online and, and different things like that. There are people that sit in our own city and do these things. They are a disgrace and a stain among you, 
They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and follow the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who would have barely escaped from the lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of this world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get it entangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. That's the path of Balaam. Is that my path? Is that your path? We choose. We choose. Verse 24 or verse 23. The the Jordan River marked the western boundary for the tribe of Reuben. The towns and their surrounding villages in this area were given as a homeland to the clans of the tribe of Reuben. Moses had assigned the following area to the clans of the tribe of Gad. Their territory included Jazer, all the town of Gilead, the half of the land of Ammon, as far as the town of Aror, just west of Rabbah. It extended from Heshbon to Remoth Mizpah and Betonim, and from uh, Manahem to the territory of Lodabar, in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sokuth, Zaphon, and the rest of the kingdom of King Sihon of Heshbon. The western boundary ran along the river Jordan, extended as far north as the tip of the Sea of Galilee, and then turned eastward. The towns of their surrounding villages in this area were given as the homeland to the clans of the tribe of Gad. So that was the middle. Remember, Reuben got the south, Gad got the middle, and the half-tribe of Manasseh would get the north. So Moses had assigned the following area to the clans of the half-tribe of Manasseh. Their territory extended from Mahanaim, including all the Bashan, all the former kingdom of King Og, and the 60 towns of Jair in Bashan, also included half of Gilead in King Og's royal city of Ashtaroth and Edri or royal cities. All this was given to the clans of the descendants of Macher, who was Manasseh's son. These are the allotments Moses had made while he was on the plains of Moab across the Jordan River, east of Jericho. Verse 33 echoes something that we heard before um, in verse 14, and it says, But Moses gave no allotment of land to the tribe of Levi. For the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised that he himself 
would be their allotment. Now, I hear this often as I read in the Old Testament, and even King David said something that was like this. And King David was not of the tribe of Levi, but King David understood something about God. That God loved him. God wanted to take care of him. And that no matter what worldly wealth or fame or pride could be out there, God was all he wanted. You guys know that? Now, King David was not like a run-of-the-mill type of king, all right? He was a shepherd boy that was anointed, and then he went to fight Goliath, and it wasn't that he was a big, strong guy. He believed his God. And do you remember what, why they say, why do you think you can kill this giant? And he said, when I take care of my dad's sheep, I mean, I grab lions by the beard and I club them to death. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, boy, you got the job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, he's like, you know, I beat back bears. You beat back bears. You're a teenager. I know men that have died at the hand of a bear or paws and mouth of a bear. You know, Emily likes, I, I have this thing on Instagram, and, and it's called, like, the beast of nature, right? And all this guy does is he shows videos of, like, lions fighting or, like, uh, foxes chasing birds and catching them and stuff because you, you never really see that on, you know, like... Uh, our Blue Planet or, you know, National Geographic. You never see, like, the real life, the hunters, the hunt going on, right? And there was this one that was, like, two bears fighting it out, and they were pummeling each other. And the comment says, it's funny that some people think they could fight these things, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen a bear. I know that some of us in this room have seen a bear. I know my mother's seen a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, uh, we saw this bear in our back garden one time when we lived in Pennsylvania. And she said, look, a bear. And she ran out to, like, go see it, right? And she said, when it stood up, she knew it meant business, and she left. <laughs> so, right? And um, bears, bears can be big. They're big, right? King David said he, he took the sheep out of, for, away from the bears, like, without fear. Why? Because he trusted God. He trusted God. And God did great things for him because David put his trust in him, right? So David was one of the psalmists that said, God is my portion. That's all I want. Right? Didn't matter. King David, by the time he was king, he had built up massive wealth. Not because he was sitting there trying to be greedy, but that's how successful he was at everything he did. And then his son Solomon built up so much wealth that scholars do not believe he was that wealthy. Like, honestly, he would put Elon Musk to shame with the amount of wealth he had. And we're told in scripture some of, the, some of his specifics. Some of the specifics are he brought in 500 million pounds in money worth of gold every year on ships. There are companies on our stock market that don't make that much money. 500 million pounds in our money of gold yearly. That's just gold. I'm not telling you that was, his, that was all he made. That's just gold he brought in. 
said he brought in silver. He brought in every precious metal, every type of uh, jewel. He brought in spices, uh, clothes. Kings liked him so much, they gave of his wealth. They paid him tribute because they would come and visit him and they'd be astounded by his, his wisdom and knowledge that the Lord had given him. It says in scripture that Israel, not only was Solomon so rich, but Israel was so rich at this time that silver was as good as this, or as common as the stones on the ground. That's how wealthy they were. And scholars like, no, that can't be true. Come on. This guy didn't even exist. Come on. Okay. Have it your way. You know, that's cool. If the Bible says it, I believe it. But then it says that Moses gave no allotment to the tribe of Levi. And you say, I thought there were 12, 12 tribes that got everything kind of parted out to them. There were 12, quote unquote, tribes. There were 12 allotments given to different tribes. Two of those tribes belonged to Joseph. Joseph was given a double portion. The tribe of Levi got no portion. So they were really the 12th tribe, but... Jacob had spoken prophecy over them, and he said to Levi, my son, your descendants will be scattered throughout your brothers. And guess what the tribe of Levi was? They were scattered throughout all the lands in between all the other tribes. And Manasseh and Ephraim, they got separate land. So Joseph the Lord was even good to him after the fact. And he said, listen, because you have been good to me, I'm going to give you a double portion. You will be honored and remembered for being selfless when it came to, your, to the Lord and to his people. Right? The Lord remembers what we do, whether good or bad. So... The other tribes received their homes, and I liken it to like this, and we'll finish with this. I liken it to this. Imagine the wealthiest person in the world is your friend, and there are 12 of you, 12 friends, and the richest person in the world. It could be whoever you want, because sometimes like somebody else is the richest person, so you know, like sometimes it's like a guy named Elon, and then other days it's a guy, the guy, the the Amazon guy, and then just recently the Louis Vuitton guy became the richest man in the world for like three days, and you know, it just fluctuates, right? So um, I find this funny, you know, <laughs> but let's say you're friends with one of those guys and there's 12 of you, 12 friends and that guy, so 13 of you, right? And that guy turns to everybody and he says to everybody, listen, all of you guys, I'm gonna buy you a million pound house each, everybody, except for you, right? For, for you. So he says, you know, like whoever you are, you know, you know your name. And uh, the rich person says, I'm not buying you anything. You don't get a house. And you're like, what? I don't get a house. All these dudes get a house. All these guys and ladies get a house and I don't. So he goes and he buys million pound house, million pound house, million pound house, million pound house, million pound house. Everybody say, hey, what about him or her? And he says, no, 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 I got something else for them. Finally, they get, he gets to you and he says, listen, I'm not going to buy you a house. You're not going to get a house. You're going to live in my own house. And anything I have is yours. You know, let's say it's Elon. He goes, you could go into Tesla. You could drive around whichever one you want. If you don't like it, you go get another one. 
You can, uh, I, you eat off of my table, whatever I eat, you eat. You know, whatever billionaire money can buy you. You're with me. So if anybody asks you and you're going into one of our companies, you say your name and they'll know you're with me. You're my guy. All right. But there's one thing that I want you to do, and that is help take care of the other guy, the other guys. Go see what they need, but you have my power to go help them and be with them and fill their needs and remind them that I love them, right? That I'll take care of them. That was the job of the Levites, right? But then we're told in the New Testament that that's our job. Peter tells us that we are, what were the Levites? They were a royal priesthood. Peter tells us that we are now a royal priesthood. We've been brought close to God. And God says, listen, stop seeking your own. Stop seeking your own. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Now, guys, this is not a call to laziness. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, and, and I get this question all the time. Well, doesn't God want us to work hard? Yes, he wants us to work harder than everyone else. Not as if we were working for man, but as if we were working for God, right? So I'm not talking about laziness or um, just being complacent in life. I'm talking about knowing who you, whose you belong to, who you belong to, and how to live that out. And God says, listen, I will take care of you. Guys, I refer to this all the time. The Lord tells us not to worry. He says to seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. When I actually took that on and trusted him and believed him, my life was different. I'm not saying all of a sudden lottery tickets started coming through my, my letterbox. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, started taking care of me. He started ordering my steps. I want you to meet this person. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. To the point where I had given everything over to the Lord. I was a single young man. I was just playing music with my brothers, tell, telling people about Jesus. I had quit seeking out a wife. I was out of that game. I, I actually said that to the Lord. Lord, I am not even going to look for anybody. I am sick and tired. Sick and tired of all these women, Lord. <laughs> I'm just going to be alone, and it's all good. Little did I know he was going to take me 3,500 miles away to introduce me to the girl that he said, this is going to be your wife. And it's to your benefit, because she's the reason I'm in this city. <laughs> People ask me, why in the world did you leave New York City to come to Birmingham. I don't know. Go ask the Lord. <laughs> and I'm like, New York City ain't no thing, man. Like, you live there long enough, you want to leave. <laughs> it's a great place to visit. Leave it at that. All right? Go there for a week, maybe two. Get out quick. Because <laughs> they're clocking you. They're going to take your money. <laughs> anyway, God is good. I gave it over. I was like, Yo, man, Lord, order my steps. You do whatever you want to do. So I'm telling you from experience, like it was told to me, I'm not going to tell you something that doesn't work or something that I didn't, haven't tried myself. I've tried it myself. And God is good. 
God is good. He takes care of you. He takes care of that anxiety in you. He takes care of that, all the things that go wrong in the little things. He takes care of you. He teaches you. He gives you wisdom as you read his word, as you seek him, and you begin to understand how to live this life. Titus 2, verse 14. I'll read that really quick. And then I'll read uh, 1 Peter. Titus 2.14 says this. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. Totally, totally committed to doing good deeds. I don't do good deeds because it's going to buy me in with the Lord. Like, like I have to appease somebody. I do good deeds because God loved me first. I was loved. I'm just going to love him back. Just going to love him back. And then 1 Peter. So 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. It says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you could show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your believing neighbors. Then even after they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So we can choose. We could choose to kind of be like Christians that live at the border, like Reuben, Gad, half tribe of Manasseh. Or we can choose to act like we're going the way we're supposed to be going but really be Balaam in our hearts and, and rebel. But God knows us. Or I can choose the best that God has for me and say, Lord, I'm going to follow after you. You take care of me. I trust you. It's up to you. And it's up to me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. Lord, I pray that we would understand your word as we read it and that we would go and live it out. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't have salvation in you, Lord, that they would remember what the scripture says, that today is the day of salvation. Lord, that they would come to you and say, Jesus, I trust the work that you did on the cross. You died for me. I need forgiveness for my sins. And it says in Romans 10 verse 9 that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And then that we would follow after you, Lord, by listening to your commands. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.